following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. I had a, a friend who was a youth pastor for a bunch of years, and I've been trying to remember this week, and, and every time I think about it, I cannot remember why we did this. But we, we were going to shoot a video of us in front of a fire. So we thought it was a good idea to get the couches from the youth room and build our fire out of those couches. Now, if you know church youth rooms, they're usually filled with the couches that people didn't want in their house anymore, but they gave to the high school students to sit on. And they were broken down, and they were super old, and they were full of all kinds of grossness. If you've ever been in a youth room, you, you know how this works. Um, and so we took these couches out, and we were going to shoot this video of us in front of this fire. And so we stacked the couches, and we, we lit them on fire. And we, we stood in front of them doing the video, and it just started getting really hot in our backs. And we turned around, and this thing went up like you would not believe how quickly this fire built up, how big, how hot, how bright these like 25-year-old, dirty, nasty couches went up in flames. Like, we're looking at it, and we had the moment where we, we brought out, like, a bucket of water. You know, in case it got out of control, we look at each other, we're like, this is not going to do it. All right, we, were, we were a little worried in that moment that the, the church lawn was going to catch on fire. Maybe it was going to jump to the building itself. We didn't know what was happening. We were running around grabbing. But here's the thing. We could have built that fire out of some sticks and dried leaves, and it would have burned. But because we gave it the 20-year-old couches, it burned a lot hotter, and it burned a lot brighter. We put the right stuff in the fire to get a hot, bright, blazing fire. We've been talking about keeping the fire of our faith burning. We talked about how we have to give it fuel, and we have to fan that flame, we have to guard it against the opposition that may come against it, that may try to extinguish that fire. When we put all this together, we were kind of confronted with this question. How do I not only protect the fire, but how do I get the fire of my faith to burn hotter and brighter than ever before? How do I build a fire that is more resilient than the fire of my faith in the past? And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, Paul's going to show us how to build an increasingly bold fire in our faith. Paul's going to say, you want to burn bright, you want to burn hot, you want to see that flame increase? Here's where we go. And he starts out in the very first verse of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And he says, if we want to build that hot, strong fire, then we must be strong in grace. Be strong in grace. Watch what he says. Very simple verse. He says, you, therefore, my son. Okay, again, he's talking to Timothy. This is Paul writing to Timothy. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, we remember back a couple weeks, we saw Timothy, the one that Paul's writing to, What's Timothy's tendency and personality? 
It's fear. Paul reminds him that you've not been given a spirit of fear. Don't be afraid. The Spirit's given you a, a, a spirit of power and love and self-discipline or sound judgment. Paul has reassured him that he doesn't need to be afraid, and now here he gives him the flip side of that. Yes, you don't need to be afraid, Timothy, if you're pursuing Jesus Christ. Why? Because you can be strong. Be strong. Right? This is, if you want a grammar nerd moment, and if you're a grammar nerd, you like to look at the language and say, well, what does this really do? Well, be strong is a present passive imperative. Great. Who cares? What's a present passive imperative means? It means that it's not just a one-time action. It's an ongoing action that God does to and for Timothy. He doesn't make himself stronger. He simply is strong and he continues to be strong in the grace, the gift of God that comes through Christ Jesus. Paul is imploring Timothy to continually be strengthened by the Holy Spirit. And it's this grace of Jesus that constantly strengthens Timothy for God's purposes, for the work of his faith. As Paul called Timothy, so too are you and I to be continually strong, strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus. And I know that sounds like a really good church phrase, doesn't it? Be, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You're like, yeah, I heard that at church today. I don't know what to do with it. And so what, what does that mean for us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? It carries this, what I, what I want you to take from this this morning is this one foundational reality of being strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because it means this. Grace-bound strength, right? Straight, strength that is bound to the grace of Christ Jesus. Grace-bound strength is not our own strength. You want to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Recognize that your strength is useless. Grace-bound strength is not your strength. It's not my strength. See, true strength, grace-bound strength is found only in submission to Jesus Christ through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, a truly humble man is sensible of his natural distance from God, of his dependence on him, of the insufficiency of his own power and wisdom, and that it is by God's power that he is upheld and provided for, and that he needs God's wisdom to lead and guide him and his might to enable him to do what he ought to do. For the Lord. Whatever Edward says and all that is he says, listen, you want to be wise, you want to be strong, recognize that you are weak and you only find strength, you only find wisdom, you only find maturity of your faith when you give everything to Christ Jesus. Okay, so once again, what does that mean for us in the practical sense? What's it look like for you and me to be strong in the grace of Christ Jesus? Let me give you a, just kind of three characteristics 
three action steps for us to grow in the strength, the grace that is in Christ Jesus. First, if we're gonna grow in the strength that is in Christ Jesus, grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, we first, first we look to Christ for strength, right? It's not our strength. We have to look to Christ for our strength. As Jonathan Edwards said, it starts with this humility before the Lord. We need him. We cannot do anything apart from Christ Jesus. We look to Christ and we look to him alone for our strength. Number two, we trust in his power. And we look to him for strength. I have no strength. I have no power. I have no wisdom. Everything good that I have is because of Jesus Christ. I look to him, but then I got to trust that power. Exodus 14, verse 14, one of the, just one of those amazing pictures in the book of of Exodus. Moses with the Israelites on the the banks of the sea. Remember, they've, they've come out, they've seen God do all these amazing things. He's brought them out of Egypt. Now they've come to the edge of the sea and they look ahead and they can't cross this water. It's not gonna happen. And they look back and they see Pharaoh and all of his army come rushing at them. And after everything they've been through, everything they've seen, what's their incredibly faithful response? Oh, we're all going to die. God let us out here to be destroyed. Woe is me. That's a very understandable woe is me moment, right? If we put ourselves in that situation, I think we all (laughs) would have a tendency to respond the same way the Israelites do. But God says, no, no, no. God says, don't you worry. God says, I'm going to take care of this. And in Exodus 14, verse 14, Moses is is telling the people, he's like, hey, listen, the Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. I love that he tells them that, right? The Lord will fight for you. God's going to take care of this. Just stop whining. Be quiet. Sit. Watch what God's going to do and be amazed by him. Moses tells him, he says, listen, by your strength, you are doomed. Yes. But by God's strength, you are delivered. We must look to the Lord. Look to Christ, to his grace for our strength. But we also have to trust in that power. There's a third step here. If we look to him for strength, if we trust in his power, then we must walk confidently in response to his power. We must walk confidently. Prayer and a declaration of submission, even an intellectual understanding, all of this means absolutely nothing if we don't live like it matters. Right? You can tell me you trust a plane is going to carry me as far as you want it to carry me, but I don't believe you really trust that plane is going to take you unless you're willing to fly on it yourself. Tell me what you want, that's fine. But if your life doesn't reflect that that is true, then we got some issues. We look to Christ, to his grace, his love, his mercy for our strength. We trust in that power, but then we have to live confidently in response. We want to be strong in grace. That's, that's what it takes. So the question is, to who or to what do we bind our strength? 
or the strength that you have for whatever the day, the week, the month, the year has in store for you, whatever lies ahead, where do you bind your strength to handle the difficulty, to walk faithfully? Where do you bind your strength? Do, do, we, do we truly bind it to the grace that is in Christ Jesus? Or do we continue to bind it to our efforts, our abilities, our logic, our reason, our thoughts of what is fair and just and right? If we want to build a flame that is increasingly intense and bold, we must first draw our strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But next, Paul continues. He says, as you draw your your strength from the grace that is in Christ Jesus, then you must be committed to multiplication. Be committed to multiplication. He continues this, verse two. Paul writes, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul tells Timothy that his strength in the grace that is in Christ Jesus will lead him to share this sound teaching with other men so that they can share it with others, so that they can share it with others, so that they can share it with others. And the word others used here is not a specific term. Paul's not telling Timothy, listen, you must share it with at least this many people and they have to share it with that many people and here's the structure that's going on here. It's it's an indefinite reference. See, the emphasis that Paul is giving here is not that Timothy share the gospel with so many people and do it in such and such a way and this is the methodology and this is how it looks. The emphasis is on the message that Timothy is to transfer. The message that Timothy is to multiply. The the instruction is to teach others the life-giving message of the gospel. This is the command that you and I have as well in our lives. Every single one of us, we are to transmit the message of the truth of the gospel to others, to see the work that God has done in our lives be multiplied in the lives of others. But Paul says, this is never about me doing this and you doing that. It's about the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, this Paul again writing says, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. What Paul is saying here is not that he came and he's like, well, guys, I don't know anything. Maybe you should trust Jesus and that was the fullness of everything he knew or everything in his message? No. But he says his goal was not to make people listen to him or know how right he is so that they can agree with him. His goal was simply to present the gospel, 
Show the life-giving, life-sustaining power of faith in Jesus Christ and let the gospel do the work. Paul was committed not to the, the elevation of his status, but to his work as a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. He had one message to proclaim. And it's the same one message that you and I are called to proclaim. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that fact that, yes, our our strength, our power cannot deliver us. That is evident throughout the course of human history. Everywhere we look, mankind has tried to figure it out to get it right, and we failed every step along the way. Because God created us for one thing, to live in relationship with him, to know him, to love him, to serve him, to worship him. And as we have over and over and over again chosen ourselves over him, we've allowed that sin to destroy our hearts. But God in his infinite love and grace and mercy wouldn't leave us there. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live that perfect life so that he could be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So that when he was nailed to the cross, his blood would pay the penalty for our sins. When he was laid in the tomb, his resurrection would defeat death once and for all for us. So that we could be delivered from our sinful flesh, from our brokenness. Back to that perfect relationship he created us for. That is the message of hope and joy and purpose in our lives. That is the message we carry You and I are all called to carry that message, to share it with those around us. Maybe in your life, you'll be called to share that message with one person. Maybe in your life, you'll be called to carry that message to thousands upon thousands of people. I don't know. I'm not God. I've not given you the calling. He gave you that calling. But the point is not, did you reach enough people? Did you share it with enough people? The point is, are you committed to multiplying the message of the gospel when you are given the opportunity? Again, every one of us is called to reproduce the gospel. Parents to your children, grandparents to your grandchildren, children to your siblings and classmates, neighbors to your friends, co-workers to one another. Psalm 96, verse 1 and 3 says, Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Proclaim his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wondrous works among all peoples. We cannot be content to go, I'm saved. I can sit here and I can come to church and that's fine. Our call It's to seek the multiplication of the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ with the world, with all nations, with all peoples. And that's not a work that any one of us can do on our own. But the question is, will we do what God has called us to do? 
Will we be willing to carry that message? And and what that means for us is that you and I don't have an excuse to say, that's not my personality, that's not my gifting set, and so I don't have to share the gospel with others. We don't have that opportunity, biblically. We can't make that claim. But here's the thing. Even if you're somebody who's sitting here today and you're like, that's not... That's, that's not my personality, that's not my calling, that's not my gifting to share the gospel. Okay, fine. But you do understand, right, that God has given you everything you need to fulfill that calling, to share the gospel with people around you? Right, because what does it take to share the gospel with people around you? It means that you love others, you share the gospel, and you tell your story of faith. That's, that's all it takes Right? Every single one of us in this room can love others. Every single one of us can love others. We can see a need, we can hear a need, we can meet a need. We're all capable. We're all capable of sharing the truth of the gospel. There's a reason we come back to this constantly in this church. And we've made this a, a simple reminder for you, the 11-word gospel, Right? Jesus lived perfectly, died sacrificially, rose victoriously to deliver us completely. We can remember that. That, That's the start. That's a jumping off point for the entire message of all of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can take each one of those four and break them down and go deeper if you want. But if nothing else, you can remember 11 words. Some of you can remember song lyrics from 30 years ago when they come on and you haven't heard them in 10 years. So I know you can remember 11 words to share the gospel. And every single one of us knows the story of our faith, where we were apart from Jesus Christ, what happened when we met him, when we had that encounter, when he changed us. And the hope that we have in life now because of who he is. So again, none of us have the excuse to say, that's not me, that's not my calling, that's not my personality, I don't know how, because we do. And if we want to continue to say, well, I don't know how, that's not my calling, that's not my gifting, I don't think I should be doing that, then we have to ask ourselves a really hard question. Because a fire that produces no flame to be seen and no heat to be felt is a dead fire. James says it this way in James 2, 17 and 18, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. Right? James isn't saying that if you don't do works, you're not saved. No, he understands you're saved by grace alone. As I've heard it said many times and I've shared with you many times, grace alone saves. Faith alone saves. Let me say it right. Faith alone saves, but faith that saves is never alone. There is a natural fruit But that question comes back to, are we committed to the calling that God has given us in our lives? And listen, if that makes you uncomfortable, I get it. Because I'm not a gifted evangelist. It's awkward for me to sit down with somebody I don't know and steer a conversation to the gospel. So I get it. But that doesn't release us from the call. That doesn't release us from fulfilling that call, however God has has put in our lives, in our hearts, in our circle of influence. 
to share the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So let's ask the really hard question of ourselves. Where is the gospel multiplying in my life? Where is the gospel multiplying in my life? With our strength drawn from the grace that is in Christ Jesus and our lives committed to multiplication, then if we want to build that flame brighter, hotter, bolder, we must be faithful with endurance. Faithful with endurance. Verses 3 through 7. Paul continues on here. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in the concerns of civilian life. He seeks to please the commanding officer. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to get the share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Be faithful in endurance. Paul goes on here, and he's explaining the cost of nurturing the fire of our faith. He's giving us examples of the cost that will be required if we're going to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and if we're going to be committed to multiplication. He gives us three examples in this passage. He tells us about the good soldier who gives up his personal desires to obey and please his commander. He tells us about the athlete who sacrifices their their body and their own will in order to win the crown. And he tells us of the farmer who works the ground with sweat and blood to grow the crops that he gets to eat. Now, you could take each one of these, and, and, and I've heard people preach on each one of these examples and pull them out, and, and there's, lo- there's much to be learned there, true. But we always have to remember, what's Paul doing here? He's giving us these three examples to drive home one single unified truth. He's not telling us three different things. He's not telling us about three different ways to live. He's giving us one truth. So the question is, what is that one truth? That one truth is about the call to suffer. All three of these examples are examples of a call to suffer. The necessary condition for the soldier's success at at pleasing their commander is suffering, giving up his will, giving up his desire, serving someone that may not think the way that he thinks. The necessary condition for the athlete's victory is suffering. They train, they sweat. But they don't get to do it just however they want. They have to compete according to the rules. The necessary condition for the farmer's meal is suffering. The hard work day after day. Out in the fields, growing, harvesting this crop. Every one of these Illustrations is an illustration on suffering and sacrifice and enduring to the end. It's a statement that nothing that is good and worthwhile is achieved without some measure of suffering. When I was a kid, 
I never appreciated, and some of you might be with me, I never appreciated the expense of time, energy, and sanity that accompanied taking kids on vacation. <laughs> right, I've, I've heard it said that when you take kids, it's a trip. When you leave the kids at home, it's vacation. <laughs> now, here's the thing, okay? I don't fully buy into that. Like, we have a great time with our kids on vacation, but it's still a lot of work. And I think when I was a kid, I thought, man, we're going on vacation. This is awesome. It's just all fun and games. And I didn't realize how much effort went into making those vacations enjoyable for us as kids. But you see the reality, right? Anything worthwhile, the joy on your kid's face when they experience that thing that you've been planning for six months, the time spent with them, it has a cost. And it's a cost that we have to suffer, we have to endure. But nothing good or worthwhile comes without suffering. And you know this through every other area of your life, right? You want to learn a, a new skill? And you want to learn a musical instrument? You want to learn how to take an engine apart? You want to learn computer coding? Whatever it is, you want to learn something new? What's it take? It takes you sacrificing time and giving up free time to focus on this, to learn this. You want a healthy marriage? It requires that you sacrifice your desires, what you want. It requires that you not look to your spouse and go, you have to change to fit my desires. It requires us laying down our desires and serving our spouse. You want joy in this season of life, wherever you're at, whatever you're going through. It requires that you surrender your demands and your frustrations and say, God, I don't understand this but I'm going to celebrate something in this season. I'm going to rejoice even though I don't get what's going on. Nothing good or worthwhile comes without some suffering. And this applies in our faith as well. Do we want to grow in our faith? Do we want to know Christ more richly? Do we want to serve him in more significant ways? If our answer is yes, then we will have to endure suffering in our lives. We all have the tendency to look around at what we're doing and go, man, this is really hard. This just isn't working out the way I thought it would. I must be doing something wrong. Let me stop and go figure out something else. But in our faith, we should expect that pushback. When we are seeking Christ above all else, we should expect that pushback. We should expect that fight from our enemy. John 16, Jesus says, you will have suffering in this life. It is a promise that he makes to us. He doesn't say, if you mess everything up, then things will get hard for you. If you do everything right, you won't have any problems. He says, you're gonna have suffering in this life if you are going to pursue me. When we are looking to build a hot, intense, bold fire in our faith, you better believe that Satan's going to come at you with everything he's got. Because you know what else? Satan doesn't bother people who aren't doing anything. So if we're going to be active, we better expect for him to throw the kitchen sink at us. 
But we also know that our strength is not in our flesh. It is in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, which is more powerful than anything our enemy can throw at us. So our calling is not to try to avoid suffering or opposition to our faith. Our calling is to trust Jesus and endure our trials to be built up for a purpose of knowing him and loving him and serving him. If we want to build that fire of our faith, we will face opposition. The question is not whether we will or not. The question is whether we will endure those trials faithfully or whether we will turn away because it's too hard for our flesh, for our strength for our wisdom, for our abilities, for our knowledge, for what we're comfortable with, for what we want to see at this point in our life, for where we hoped we would be, for fill in the blank. So are we prepared to faithfully endure? Our faith in the God of creation in Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection, and in the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling our lives as our advocate, our counselor, our guide, is not something for us to say we believe in once and then move on from. It's the foundation of a life meant to grow and mature in our walk with the Lord so that we would be shaped by his love, by his grace, by his mercy to reflect who he is through the people we are becoming as the flame of our faith grows. If we allow complacency to take over, then we will lose the heat and the light of our flame. But if we feed the fire, if we work it, if we continually allow that heat and that light to grow, then our faith will shine hotter and brighter every day of our lives. But in order for this to happen, we must be prepared to be men and women of faith. The men and women of faith that God has created and intended for us to be. We must be strengthened by God's grace for the work that lies ahead. We must be committed to multiplying the the beautiful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we must be ready to endure opposition with purpose for the sake of God's kingdom. Church family, may the work May we work the fire of our faith. May we build that flame to shine hot and bright. And let's do our part to prepare to to build that flame that stands out against the backdrop of the darkness of the world around us as the Holy Spirit continues to shine brighter and brighter within us so that our flame may drive us to love others to seek the Lord, and to serve him with all that we have and all that we are. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the blessing of being called your children, of being welcomed into your family. And we understand that that's not the result of our best efforts or our work even as we talk about our part, our role in, in building this, this flame and setting the conditions for it to burn hotter and brighter, Lord, we know that no matter what we do, if we're doing it of our own power, that fire's not going to light. 
And so we thank you that while you have called us to this work, this hard work of knowing you and loving you and serving you and being a part of your kingdom work in this world, Lord, you have not called us to this and then asked us to do it by our own strength. You have given us everything we need. And so, Father, we thank you. And as we prepare for whatever this week has in store for us, Father, remind us to look to the grace that is in Christ Jesus for our strength. To be committed to pointing others back to you through the power of the gospel. By loving others. By speaking the truth. And by sharing our story of faith. Lord, we pray that you give us the strength to endure faithfully. That no matter how good, no matter how bad the present situation feels to us, when people look at our lives, look at us, they don't see how well we're doing. They see the power of our God at work within us. And once again, may we point them to you. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And you're great. In your awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.